0: Welcome to the Adrian Tan Show. This is my podcast where I have deep conversations with the people who are enabling organizations to become ready for the future of work. My guests include a mindfulness coach, the folks behind Singapore's most popular investment app, and many more. They all have one thing in common, and that is to level up your organizations through your people. I'm very happy that today, Brad Potter is able to shed more light on this elusive item called the company culture. He's an expert in company culture development who is consulted by companies and leaders worldwide to help design, develop, and build high performing cultures. He's the CEO of Culture Gin, a culture leadership software and services platform. Prior to founding Culture Gin, Brad spent 16 years as the managing partner of a leading executive search firm based in London and working with startups and high growth companies in the UK, Europe and USA. In 2018, he published his first book, Culture Text Decoded, and his second one, Own Your Culture. How to Define, Embed, and Manage Your Company Culture, and that's the book that we're going to be touching on. I just completed reading the book, and it's really a fascinating read to find out the extent that companies' owners actually go to, to ensure that people not just remember the culture, but they leave the culture and breathe the culture. Please welcome my guest, Brad Putter. Hey Brad, thank you for coming on to the show.
1: Adrian, uh, thanks for having me. Really looking forward to our session.
0: Likewise, I just finished your book by the way. It's an awesome book. There's so many different examples, and some of it really blew me away. But before we touch on them and to find out more about your experience, speaking with all these different companies CEOs to learn more about their culture, could you help us to understand what motivated you to write this book to begin with?
1: Yeah, so I realized about five, five and a half years ago now that culture was the missing link for most companies and I decided to that I didn't know terribly much at all about company culture, so I decided to really do a deep dive and and, and research and understand company culture. And part of that was just starting to interview CEOs of high-growth companies that have effectively defined, embedded, and managed their culture well. And so I I started blogging about those uh, interviews, and then I I decided, you know what? There's I I did just over fifty interviews, and I decided there is definitely a book in this because it's a very there's an opportunity to I felt write a tactical book about culture where most books are much more strategic in nature.
0: And in the book, you also mentioned based on the correspondence you have with all these CEOs, you came to realize there's actually five archetypes of CEOs. Could you elaborate for us, what are those five archetypes and how do they differ?
1: Yeah, so I, I came to realize that, first of all, there you know I had to speak to over 500 companies to be able to interview just over 50 CEOs. And I realized that there are these five archetypes. There is the uh, culture agnostic, not interested doesn't care doesn't doesn't even want to know about it is just going to drive the business their way there's the tick box will do some you know do some work on the values mission and vision and then completely forget about it and tick the box then there is the ceo that has done some work on company culture they've dipped their toe in the water but it and they may have done some work on values and mission and vision but that's pretty much it they've they've tried some stuff and it hasn't worked but they understand that company culture is important they understand that you know there is this tremendous advantage to developing a strong culture they just don't know what to do and then the fourth type is the culture aware that you know the ceo who really gets it they've worked in a strong company culture before they have experience or just a natural instinct for the importance and how to develop company culture and the fifth CEO is the, 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 the CEO that's waking up to the realization with this pandemic of how important company culture is. And they previously were culture agnostic, but they're now thinking, well, things are not, I'm struggling to keep, to keep my, my invisible, subconscious, intangible culture together. I need to do some work on it now. So those are the five.
0: It occurred to me after your description that I may fall under, or I fell into the tick box CEO when I was still running my own business. Just trying to put some statement out there, make sure I have some text on the wall, and then that's it. We don't don't really care. But beyond just having a value, mission, vision, it definitely means we still have to go beyond it to start practicing it. What are some of the practices that you believe CEO has to do, or companies have to do, in order to live and breathe all these values?
1: Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. The company culture is this complex, amorphous thing that happens below the surface. It's mainly invisible, subconscious, and intangible. And the best CEOs make it visible, conscious, and tangible. And the way to do that is, is to embed your culture. And when we work with clients, we, we work with clients to embed at a leadership team level, at a functional level, and a process level. There are only six ways to embed company culture and those six ways are how you reward and recognize what you measure and pay attention to where you invest and allocate your resources how you train mentor and educate how you behave in crisis or difficult situations and how you hire fire and promote so let me just give you a quick example if you're the ceo of a company and you say customer, you know, our customers, customer support is really important. It's, it's critical to us. One of our values is to wow the customer. But then when, when the customer service team come to you and say, we need some software for customer service to be better, and you instead buy software for sales, they realize that you don't really mean what you say. If you don't invest in training and and mentoring and educating the customer support team, they realize you don't mean what you say. If you don't recognize and reward the customer support team for their good work, they realize they don't mean what you say. So it doesn't matter what you say. Those six embedding mechanisms are critical, which I think is chapter eight in my book, are critical to embedding and really getting people to live and breathe and model your, your the, the the values and the culture and the behaviours you want to drive.
0: And how much of this would be from hiring, and how much of this will be from trying to, well, for lack of a better term, brainwash into their head, for them to leave the same values as what you have created.
1: So this is this is really important. Most people try to hire for culture fit. And I believe that culture fit is impossible to hire for. It's because most people can't describe their culture. So how can you hire for it? So actually what you've got to hire for is values fit. And if you hire for values fit, then you shouldn't have too much of a problem embedding this. And it's not really about brainwashing because brainwashing means that you are almost trying to build a cult which means that you are brainwashing people into not thinking, not being, not not using independent thought. And as a as a leader, you actually want people to use their independent thought because that's where the magic and the innovation and the creativity and the adaptability is going to come from. So what you really want to do is hire against the values of you, your founders, your your team, and the culture of the business, because then it's it's every it's like swimming downstream versus swimming upstream into the current.
0: I love the example they've given, swimming downstream rather than swimming upstream against all the resistance as well as the heavy water. And I, I like the fact that you mentioned it is really trying to walk the talk to present across to people that you are actually living all these values. And some yeah. of the examples that I'm seeing in the book is really amazing. I, I, I've read about a company, Influitive, they threaten to fire people if they do not take three weeks of vacation and many other interesting things that they are doing. Um, Among all these different examples, given they have spoken with 50 CEOs, interviewed more than 500 companies, what surprised you the most?
1: What surprised me the most is, is, well, actually, not really. Firstly, was how rarely giving the CEOs were. The CEOs who have invested in their culture spent a lot of time with me. You mentioned in Flirtive That the CEO of that company is um, actually the, CEO, the founder of that company is a guy named Mark Organ. And Mark Mark gave me three hours of his time. And he's a busy guy, but he wanted to just pay it forward. So that was the first thing. The second thing was how how much CEOs are thinking about their culture. The best CEOs are almost at a level where it becomes a function in their business. They are thinking about it you know, every single day, regularly, they, they, they actually evaluate their decisions against the values of the business. And to give you an example of the little things that make a difference in the book, I talk, I interviewed a, a, a lady named Alethea Navarro, who was the founder of Skimlinks. And Alethea, when when they'd raised enough money to actually design their offices, she actually had put the kitchen pretty much central in the office and put a toaster in the kitchen. Because she said to me, she said, you know that smell when, when you have the smell of toast in your, off, in, in your home, that's a very homely smell. It's an early morning, safe, you know, just a great feeling, you know, great feeling from that smell. And she wanted people to feel safe and people to feel comfortable and people to feel like they were sitting down to breakfast with their family in their culture. So these little examples of what CEOs who are really, really thinking about this do are, are, are what surprised me about the the, the way they operate.
0: And for, for companies that are trying to look into this, many of them may also struggle to learn how to start because as you have also written in the book, if you try to ask 50 people, what does culture mean to you? Few of them could even come back to you with a good answer. So for companies that have accepted, okay, culture is the way to go, but they are clueless in this space. What's the first step do you think they should do?
1: So I'm going to sound a little bit biased here, but I recommend they read my book. But in the book, actually, you know, the first two chapters pretty much talk about how important company culture is, what it is, and, and how much of an asset it is, is to a business if you, if you do build a strong and functional culture. And chapter three is really about defining values. And so your culture is, is this, culture develops over time. And you as the founder and your team learn about what works over time. And so your culture forms over time. It ultimately is this random, fairly random combination of good and bad behaviors, norms, principles, communication styles, processes, procedures. It's, it's, it's the way we do things around here. But a key element of that is your values, you need a vision and mission so that you've got the why and the the what we do to get the why. And the values are your how, how are we going to behave? How are we going to operate to make this work? And those values are in us, they're our DNA. My values are set by my parents, by my upbringing, by how I've grown as an, as you know, as, as a person, and what I've learned along the way about what's right and wrong. And you need to find people that first of all, define those values and understand what those values mean to you, and then find people who match those values. So for me, the first step, the real DNA of the culture, is well-defined values, and that's not just aspirational values. That's not just, you know, we are ca- we want to be candid when you can't be candid. It's about it's about the balance of stretch aspiration but also reality this is these are my values right now this is what i stand for right now
0: it it seems to me in terms of culture building a lot of it would be based on observations of things that are being done and things that are not being done in today's context when we are in this pandemic situation and many people are on remote working arrangements how would that impact or affect the way companies attempt to build or reinforce their culture
1: yeah, so that's a great question in this current in this current environment. What I'm finding is companies that did work on their culture pre-COVID are finding it a much easier transition than companies that that relied on their offices to to build their culture and maintain their culture for them. What we don't realize is that in the office we took a lot for granted. We took You know, osmosis, we took visibility, we took availability, we took informal communication, we took the ease of feedback, the ease of brainstorming, the ease of connecting, the ease of having those water cooler moments. We took that for granted as part of our culture. And now that those things are no longer available, the companies that didn't work on their culture pre-COVID are definitely finding this harder. So the, the the most important thing to do, and I in chapter twelve of my book, I talk about the the nine best practices of remote work. I what 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 I recommend companies do is look at company look at the remote work companies that are successful, and understand what it is that they do, because you're always going to have a portion of your company remote now. Most companies are going to go into some sort of a hybrid model, which means that. You may have people working you know, in different places around the world, but even in your city, people may, are going to want more flexibility. And you have to build the capability to work in a remote way with people when they are working remotely. So for me, it's about social connection. We're really struggling now because we don't use enough asynchronous communication, which means we use too much Zoom, we use too much Slack, we use we, we're, we're synchronous communication. And that's burning people out, which means that people don't want to spend another hour on a video call having Friday afternoon drinks or that kind of thing. So, really, this is looking at these nine best practices documentation, defining and documenting processes and the associated documentation is critical. Moving more of your communication from synchronous to asynchronous, where people can respond within a certain period of time, transitioning from a speak first mentality to a write first mentality. And then building on, on on clever ways of creating micro communities, which allows the social connection to be less hard to do in bigger organizations. So this is you know this is it's actually if you think about it, pre-COVID we had an office-based culture where we relied on our office to build our culture and maintain our culture. During the pandemic, we are now pretty much fully remote and we are learning and struggling because people are are, are, are getting burnt out. People are getting, you know, they're, they're, they're overburdened with work because we have too many meetings during the day. And that means we have to work at night to make up for all the meetings that we shouldn't have participated in or didn't need to participate in or shouldn't have even happened in the first place. And then we're going to move to a hybrid culture. And so leaders, the best leaders are actually adapting to this right now, are are, are trying to get ahead of what does a hybrid culture mean to our environment and how do we build that now?
0: That's good to know that during even such environment, we are able to continue with building culture or even consider looking into building our culture within our company. I would like to flip the discussion over to the, the talent side. So as much as I understand from what you shared earlier on, it would be, impossible or hard to hire for the same culture and instead to hire for value as a job seeker would it actually make sense for me to identify aspects which may resonate more with me and how should i go about doing so to ensure that whatever they put down on the wall are actually things that the company is practicing
1: yeah so so there are a couple of di- dimensions to being a job seeker right now the first one is around values and i would i would first of all understand what my values are. So I'd go through an exercise of of saying what's important to me, honesty, integrity, transparency. What are the words that spring to mind that are really critical for me, for me to really want to work and be myself and fulfill my potential. So what's important for me? And then when you interview with a company, you can, you can, you can ask the same question of everybody you interview. So for me, the the clever, the clever thing is to design three or four questions that allow you to get consistency or inconsistency. So I would ask everybody I interviewed with to describe the culture. What is the culture? How you know, could you describe your culture to me, please? I'd ask them why they joined the company. I'd ask them if they could change one thing about the company right now, what would they change? And I would ask them whether they they feel that I am a good fit with their values or not. And I, And if you ask each person you interview with, you get you'd either get the same answers, which means there is a strong culture, and you should consider it or you'll get inconsistent answers where you need to really think about this culture twice. You must remember that you can push these people fairly hard with your questioning because they, don't, they, they ultimately don't want to lie to you. And if they don't have a culture that is strong and functional that you, they feel you would fit into, then they will probably tell you, oh, they're going to work with you for the next two years and you're going to hate them because you lied to them. They lied to you. So that's the first element is around the values. The second element that I would be focusing on right now, if I was somebody looking for employment, would be to ask how the company is adapting to remote work. What are they doing to make sure that if I'm in a hybrid situation and I'm working from home two days or three days a week, or I'm actually fully remote, what is is the infrastructure? What have they done to build a fully remote or remote-first hybrid environment? where I don't end up feeling like a second-class citizen when I'm working remote. Those are the two elements that I would be focusing to evaluate companies on right now.
0: Thank you so much for your advice. I'm very certain this would be very much appreciated by any job seekers listening to this podcast. And lastly, given that I'm interviewing you from Singapore, uh, which is in Southeast Asia, based on your research and based on your understanding, uh, would culture building uh, cut across different organizations, different countries, different segments of the world, given that in Asia, you of course have, well, many different cultures. You have the Japanese culture, you have the Korean culture, which might be a bit top-down, and in Singapore, a bit more cosmopolitan. Are are there such things that we should take account into or things that you believe would actually play a larger part in how we build a culture around this part of the world?
1: So in, in Europe, we have... We have the French people, we have German people, we have the English people, and we have we've got everything in between as well with with uh, Middle East and, and Eastern Europe. Culture there is a there is a country culture so there is a national culture and the French are different to the Germans who are different to the English who are different to the Swiss and in the same way the Chinese are different to the Japanese, different to the Koreans, different to the Singaporeans. But within, within those national cultures, there are individual people who have values. And those values may overlap significantly with the culture. So French culture is typically very hierarchical. And if you are building a hierarchical culture, then that's fine. But you just need to know what culture you're building. If, if you, you know, Japan, I can generalize, but, you know, if you are building that type of culture, in Japan, or you're building a op- more open culture in Singapore, as long as you know what you're building and you hire for those values, it doesn't matter where you are. You could be on the moon.
0: Right. So it's really being true to yourself and not trying to, in a way, fake it till you make it kind of kind of situation or to try to create a facade of what you're trying to be when you're truly not. And that is definitely something companies would want to identify, really have a good clarity on how you want to behave and how you want to infuse those values into your company. And I'm here speaking with Bretton Potter the author of Own Your Culture, How to Define, Embed, and Manage Your Company Culture. Thank you so much, Brett, for making time for this podcast. I know you're on a podcast run, and this is your 52nd one. So I hope more to come, and for you to spread the word out about your book, as well as your teachings to more companies for them to drive their culture.
1: Adrian, uh, my pleasure. Thanks very much, and uh, continue the great work you're doing as well.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you are using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.